Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, everyone. I'm Dave Butler. I'm Grace Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This, your weekly scripture study class. So happy that you're here. We're in the Book of Mormon. We just did the introduction week last week, all the pages, the title page, introducing the book. It's so awesome. So if you missed that, go back last week and watch it on double speed so that you can get caught up because we're in the first Nephi today. And uh, we're so happy that you are here. If you missed last week, we are dividing up this lesson into six different segments. They are going to be what your daily reading segments are. Does that make sense? So every single week has a reading block and we've divided up each week by a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like reading. So each segment will be sort of like your daily readings. You can sit down and have a lesson that you just sit down for and have all of it. But if you are the kind of person who's listening maybe on a podcast and you just have 10 minutes and you just want to go, the break will kind of be like your, you could do it a little bit on Monday, a little bit on Tuesday, a little bit on Wednesday, if you wanted to. So we're trying to set it up so it fits your style no matter what. Just giving you your daily scripture study together is what we're trying to do. Which is kind of cute. You always have someone to study your scriptures with. Yeah. Aw. Uh, us. <laughs> uh, the read it, live it calendar that you may have and hopefully seen by now divides up the reading by day on it. That's the schedule that we follow. So if you, they will match up with each other. Okay. So that is that. The second thing is in the second lesson, if you haven't seen this yet, this is our free print. It's going to be a mercies of the Lord timeline. There are two parts to it. One is this engineer print that's 24 by 36. Any copy shop, um, copy shop or coffee <laughs> shop, maybe ask your local Starbucks if they are printing stuff up. And then the little pieces that go on there. Cause every week we are tracking the timeline of the Book of Mormon, the stories of the Book of Mormon, but particularly what God is doing throughout the book. We're going to just focus on a challenge. It's going to be this is his story and just see him as the main character. So you'll see that through in the lesson today, that tender mercy that you're um, going to see. It's the so, best calendar ever. Yeah, we love keeping track of tender mercies. We're going to focus on one, on this, but there's a spot in the journal to focus on all that you see throughout that reading. Just be particular about finding every page. Ask yourself, what is God doing in this story? And that's what a tender mercy is. Keep track of that as you go through. And then also, oh, in the journal too, there's a spot for your tender mercies where you've seen him do that. So it's kind of neat that if you're watching him warn and guide and comfort in the Book of Mormon, maybe that week you will look for warnings, guidance, and comforts too. So gives you something particularly to look forward to. I just love that we're tuning and training our hearts to do that. And if you have that up on your wall, how fun that it like gives you evidence all year long. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, this is what I should look for This right is now. what it'll end up at the end. So things that will remind you of the storyline, but more importantly, what God's been doing in the book. This comes in your email in the newsletter. So if you have, if you don't have the newsletter, sign up for it at don'tmissthestudy.com. Okay. So if you were here last week and you got all that already, gracias for hearing that again. <laughs> but for everybody else who heard it for the first time, and if you, I missed anything, go back y'all to that video from last week and there'll probably be more information. Okay. All right. We are covering first Nephi one through five today. We are calling this highly favored because I like that you see God show up so quickly in this story. Um, the story of this boy, um, named Nephi and to his family. And, uh, and it's just awesome to see how quickly, um, he comes into it. I think a great definition of highly favored is a life with God. So, all right. Segment one, is going to be um, called Especially Active Compassion. We are going to be covering 1 Nephi chapter 1. Um, because it's the very beginning of the book of Nephi, this is where you want to put your tip-ins in. Uh, these tip-ins are um, sort of like table of contents for each book as we go through it. So at the beginning of each book, you're going to see these. And what they include is a table of contents of major events that happen in there. So on this one, 
when they leave Jerusalem, when he goes back for the plates, where's the tree of life? Where's the Leahona story? Where's the building of the ship story? And then also people at a glance. So major characters that you're going to meet, who they are, a little one line scripture phrase about them. And these will go at the beginning of books. So you want to slide these into first Nephi chapter one. And the best way to put them in is you just take a glue stick and you slide it down the side of this like that. And then you just stick it right into your margin and you'll have these always turning your book of Mormon into a study Book and it just makes you feel like you're so smart when you yeah. have them. And it's cool because there's a little bit of space. So other scriptures that you want to remember and put as part of that onto this table of contents, you do. It's also the dates, how many chapters, just book at a glance and people at a glance is what those are. So that's going in for First Nephi uh, chapter one. Okay. Oh, that journal, tippins, posters, all of those things you find at Deseret Book. This printout newsletter, the other stuff you can get at Deseret Book, okay? In case you are wondering. All right, First Nephi 1, 1, right from the very beginning, it says, I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents. I think this is um, interesting. Have you ever, you know when you go buy a car and, or you start looking for a car that you want to get, and then you start noticing it everywhere that you go. So you, for example, if you are interested in a kind of that greenish blue new Bronco, for example. For example. Just to just, throw out something that's random. That's crazy. A random one. Once you decide you're kind of into it, you start noticing them everywhere. In parking lots, on the freeway, just <laughs> everywhere you go. In my driveway next week, hopefully. <laughs> Merry <laughs> just, Christmas. <laughs> one month late. Yeah. It's almost as if there is a gatekeeper in your mind. And in your eyes to what you're going to see and what you're going to notice. And I think Nephi teaches us about a spiritual gatekeeper here right at the very beginning where he says, first of all, I, I love that this is a single person story. This is like, hi, I'm Nephi and I'm writing my story and my experience here in this book. I was taught somewhat in the learning of my father. I think we're going to see two things here. One, the language he's going to mention in a couple of verses but we're going to notice in a future chapter how the learning of his father, just the perspectives of his father, I think he learns this spiritual gatekeeping from his father also. You're going to see that. And I think that's worth noticing in that first one. Having seen many afflictions in the course of my days, nevertheless, having been highly favored of the Lord in all my days. In your margin, you might want to write that, High afflictions does not equal low favor. He is telling you, I have had a lot of afflictions, but I still consider myself highly favored. In fact, I might even say it's easier to see the favor and blessings of the Lord during times of afflictions. You see him as a helper. You see him as a deliverer. You see him as a comforter. You see him as an encourager best during the times of highest afflictions. But I think there's a lot of us who are tempted to think if my life isn't going well, that must be an indication that God's upset with me, that I'm unfavored of God. And Nephi teaches us right off the bat a really important truth that afflictions in your life has little to do with whether God is favoring you or not. Well, and it's interesting that he also is gonna show you that afflictions don't determine God's goodness. Because right after, he's going to say, and having had a great knowledge of the goodness of God. Yeah. That I think it's so interesting that sometimes in afflictions, we're so quick to judge God's character based on an affliction. Right. And in all reality, this is like, oh, actually, no, I have gone through some tough stuff. And God is good. That's the first thing he says about God to us. Yeah. And it makes you think God's been good in the tough stuff. Right. Oh, he would almost connect them to each other. Yeah. And he says, I'm going to make a record. And it's interesting because it makes me feel like that's what he's going to make a record of the goodness of God that he's seen. So he's making this record in the language of his fathers. And he says, and I know this is true because it's mine. That's just that idea. He's like, this is my story. This is my experience. This is my record of seeing the hand of God in my life. It came to pass in the commencement of the first year of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, you might want to put in the margins here, connect this to 1 Kings 23. In fact, if you click Zedekiah, 
Um, I said First Kings and I meant Second Kings, everybody. Good <laughs> thing the footnote's there because Second Kings 24, Second Chronicles 36, Jeremiah 37, that's where you're going to find this story in the Old Testament. So this is happening in the, this is where the Old Testament and the Book of Mormon are going to overlap with each other. You can find this spot in here in Jerusalem. So this is a time and a specific place, which I think is neat to consider. I can tell you a time and a place where I have experienced the goodness of God. I can tell you a time and a place where his tender mercies have happened. I can tell you a time and a place where I've been strengthened, encouraged, fill in the blank. It's neat that he lists that there. And that same year, there came many prophets. This is going to be Jeremiah, Habakkuk, um, Zephaniah. These are some of the prophets that are there in Jerusalem at the same time. Obadiah, Nahum. I, I made a little list. Y'all had to look at it um, to see. <laughs> these are some of the prophets that are there at the, at the same time saying the southern kingdom of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Babylon is coming. Wherefore, it came to pass, my father, as he went forth unto the Lord and, and prayed unto the Lord, even with all of his heart in behalf of his people. Whenever I read that phrase, it makes me pause and just think, when's the last time that I've prayed with all my heart in behalf of someone else? And I'll tell you what, um, this prayer is going to get answered. And it seems like percentage wise, those are the some of the prayers that get answered, the prayers that are in behalf of other people. And he has this experience, a pillar of fire comes down and, and he saw and heard much. You might want to highlight that phrase that we believe in a God who speaks and shows much. And he returned home to his own house and he cast himself upon his bed, overcome with the spirit and the things which he had seen. And being overcome in verse eight, he gets carried away in this other vision. Please note, in verse 6, and then in again, verse 8, you already have God intervening in the story. Right from page 1 of this book, you are seeing God who's going to intervene, who's going to be a part, who has something to say about what's going on in your life. I, I just love that the Book of Mormon teaches that about, we might skip over it because we're just used to that happening, but the Book of Mormon wants to make really clear for us how involved God wants to be and is in our individual storylines. Well, and it's so cute to me that Nephi is like, let me, he already says from the very beginning, he's like, I'm going to write things down. And that's what he thought was the most important to write down. You know, it wasn't his schedule of his day. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, it was, things are going well in Jerusalem. He's like, oh no, actually, let me tell you, this is the goodness of God is that he actually entered into my family's story. Yeah, yeah. In that vision at eight, he thought he saw God surrounded with numberless angels in the attitude of singing and praising. I want you to start noticing some of the words that are, are being described here because compare it with this. Well, first, keep going. Verse nine, then he sees one descending out of the midst of heaven with the luster above noonday and 12 others that followed him. And he came down. You might want to highlight that. They came down to earth, to my situation and they came and stood before my father and they gave unto him a book that he should read. See what we're learning about the Lord here, that he comes, that he comes down into our stories, that he will give us things that are going to help us and whatever it is that we're facing and, and dealing with. And verse 12, it will fill you with the spirit of the Lord. He's being filled. Remember, he comes to his house almost exhausted, like he's empty. And then God is someone who fills someone back up. That's really cool. And I've he's, he's, he's a God who fills. And then this is what I wanted you to see in 13. He starts talking about abominations in Jerusalem and destruction and perish. And just look at 13. It's a scary verse. <laughs> but 14, after the vision's over, Lehi says, I, uh, I read and saw many great and marvelous things. And it led him to exclaim this. Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God Almighty. The throne is high in the heavens. Thy power and goodness and mercy are over all the inhabitants of the earth. What's interesting thing, I think two things are happening here. One, he's not attributing the abominations and the destruction and the perishing with the sword to God. He's attributing it to what the people are doing. And God is seen as a rescuer here. Again, sometimes when things go wrong, 
we attribute it to him and to his anger. But instead, in this story, he's a God of goodness. He's a God of mercy. And he's going to be a God of deliverance. And when you truly see him for who he is, verse 15 happens. You get into the attitude of praising, a soul of rejoicing, and a whole heart that is being filled because of the things which the Lord has shown unto you. If the response isn't praise and a whole heart kind of rejoicing, I don't think we've quite seen what God intends to show us. Uh, Levi then says, I'm going to tell you my story and my dad's together. At the same time, you're going to get a two for one experience here. And he talks about his father going out among the Jews um, and trying one, testifying of their wickedness in verse 19, but then also the coming of a Messiah. I do love that the Lord has a pattern of, let me tell you the need, let me show you the problem, and then let me provide or remind you of the solution. 19 is just a perfect pattern to see that here's the problem, wickedness, abominations, and what it's going to lead to. But I don't just point out problems. I provide solutions. I'm a rescuing, resolving, restoring God. And it's so interesting to me, this part, because it's so easy to skip over. But Lehi talking to the Jews is not him going to like this far away place and like speaking to strangers. He actually, he is like getting mocked by, he is trying to help and being super toughly rejected by the people that in verse five, he was praying for. Mm. Like it's not strangers for him. It is people that he knows and probably knows very well. Yeah. It's the people that he's seen his whole entire life in Jerusalem. Yeah. That's who's mocking him. And it's so fascinating to me that he obviously thought what he saw in that vision, the message he got, the God he had come to believe in, the one who would deliver him and rescue him was someone worth being mocked over. Mm. That he's like, oh, I actually don't care what all of these people think about me because I know who God is. Yeah. I care more about him. I don't care what they think about me, but also, but I do care about you. He calls them his people. He's like, I don't, I don't want this to end badly for any of you. I'm trying to show you a God who can intervene, who can help prevent some of these things. It just shows you that he's captured the heart of the Lord. He is acting, praying in behalf of his people, warning, taking the mockery, taking the pain in order to rescue. It just shows you he's got the same heart of Jesus. And then that chapter concludes with him saying in verse 20, they got to the level where they wanted to kill him not cast him out and kill him like they did with the prophets of old. But behold, and I love that but. <laughs> In verse 20, circle that, right? No matter how bad circumstances may be, but I'll show unto you the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he has chosen to make the mighty in, even into the power of deliverance. If things hit rock bottom, even, I will still be able to show you the tender mercies of the Lord. And that really is the verse that inspired that study in the journal and, and keeping track of them here and our posters throughout the week. We just really want to fill our study and our thoughts and our minds with the tender mercies of the Lord. And that they could be everywhere. He's yeah. like, no, I'm going to show you what, this looks like. Yes. And it's so fascinating to me because chapter two actually starts with a mercy that's a little bit unexpected. And it's interesting because what happens is he goes back to Lehi's story and um, Lehi sees the Lord in a dream and he has this moment, the Lord's going to visit him and he's going to have this conversation with the Lord. And in verse two, it came to pass that the Lord commanded my father, even in a dream, that he should take his family and depart into the wilderness. Um, the mercy, the first mercy after Nephi tells us that he's going to show us the mercies of God actually was a warning. And it's interesting because maybe it's the defiant part of like my daughter, like the daughter in me that sometimes it's hard for us to take warnings mm. and we're actually going to see that play out in the rest of the chapter. God is going to give a warning and this, what's you like the solution, not, I don't know if that's the right word, but like what to do now. 
the warning and the next step. And we see three different people in scripture respond three very different ways. But it's fascinating to me that it's shown as a mercy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're hesitant when we get a warning to consider it a mercy. But I love that Nephi thinks it is. Yeah. He's like, this is actually a blessing. And the warning is going to require a lot out of them. Right. But it was still the Lord being merciful. I think maybe the way to see it as a mercy is to differentiate it from a threat. There, it's a, a warning is not a threat. Yes. A threat is, I'm going to do this to you. A warning is, this is going to happen. I'm trying to prevent it from happening. A warning is protection. Right. That's what he was offering. Right. But often a warning will cause us to have to change. And I think that's the painful part. If we can separate what we're going to now have to do to change from the warning itself, then the warning can more easily be seen as tenderness from the Lord. So that is what goes on our timeline is uh, this tender mercy, this piece right here. P.S. The pieces are always in the app and they're in the newsletter. uh, So you can see them. And I think they're going to pop up on the screen magically. Uh, Not on our screen, but like like, uh, for the YouTube people watching. But if you're not seeing, you can. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. I was like, great. (laughs) Surprise. Um, So we're going to put that in its little spot right here as uh, a tender mercy of the Lord. That was so cute. We're two mercies in. Yeah. Um, And what happens is he gets this warning. God's going to tell him, Jerusalem is going to fall apart. You need to get your family and get out. Like Mm. this is, at this point, you have done your very best. I know that you love it here and you grew up here, but there is something better. I have something better for you. This is protection for you. And what's going to happen is he goes. Should we talk for just a second about getting out? of situations and getting out of relationships and getting out of habits and getting out of patterns it is he might not ask us to leave a city but the lord will ask us to leave some things and that's tough so tough and i am not kidding you this chapter chapter 2 is where i go anytime like even when Students that I teach in seminary come up to me and they ask me about, I don't know what to do, like about my friend situation or breakups or any of these things. I am not kidding you. I think this is the best hidden gem for that ever. Mm. And it's because that's actually how the chapter starts out. Because what's going to happen is after he gets the warning um, in verse four and it came, well, verse three, he was obedient. He's like, okay, I got the warning. I know the game plan. Verse four. And it came to pass that he departed into the wilderness and he left his house and the land of his inheritance and his gold and his silver and his precious things. And it's interesting to me that he includes precious things outside of gold and silver and land. Mm. Because typically when we read that, I think we always think of money. And I think some of the precious things could have been very expensive things or like heirlooms or whatever you want to include in that. But when I think about my life, what I would call precious are actually the relationships in my life. Mm. And then that verse changes because all of a sudden what they're saying is, and it came to pass, he departed into the wilderness. And you remember that he took his family too. And he left his house and the land of his inheritance and his gold and his silver and his precious things and the people he knew and loved. That's all his people. But let's think about every single person in his family. That means that Laman and Lemuel walked away from the boys that they grew up hanging out with every single day. They walked away from their next door neighbors that they like shared sugar with every single Saturday when they ran out and they were making cookies. That's who they had to leave behind. Nephi had to leave behind his high school girlfriend. You like unpack this. You are actually, these people had to walk away from relationships. And that is really asking something big most of the time. Yeah, we're taught um, two of, you know, two of the covenants that we make in the temple are obedience and sacrifice. And I just think those are just closely knit with each other. That most of the time, the things that we sacrifice are because of our obedience. I remember going to the the farm in um, upstate New York that the Colesville branch was leaving from and just seeing how pretty it was. And you read the story and you, the Lord asked them to leave and go to Ohio and they leave. But when I was there looking at it, it was the first time I thought, what a sacrifice. Like the, the obedience, the sacrifice usually comes because of the obedience to, to trust 
like you were saying, that God has something better. Yeah, because it's absolutely... requires leaving something behind. Yeah, and things that you actually really loved. Things that were good for you at that time. Things that you cared about. And he gets his family and they all leave. And we brush over those verses like it's not like the most tragic goodbye ever. Like, can you imagine Lehi walking out of the house for the last time? Yeah. Like, that's not... Lehi probably didn't brush over this verse like it was nothing. That's asking a lot. And they start traveling in verse five and they pitch their tents in the wilderness and they get all ready. It's their first night away. And this is Lehi's response to the warning. This is Lehi's response to walking away. Verse number seven, and it came to pass that he built an altar of stones and made an offering unto the Lord and gave thanks unto the Lord our God. What on earth did he have to be thankful for? Mm. He just walked away from every single thing he's ever known, every single thing he's ever loved outside of his family. And his first instinct is actually, hey, God, thank you for this. And maybe it's why he's, his heart is going to be protected. His heart is protected through offerings and it's protected through thanksgiving because it would be really easy to quickly revert back to what you wish and what you don't like. And Lehi is finding ways to, you know, to, you know, to steer his heart toward the Lord. And I fully believe that gratitude is the solution to anger. I think Mm. being thankful is the quickest way to not be angry. And I love that night one, Lehi wanted to live in a thankful heart, not an angry heart. Because what's going to happen is we still have two more responses from other people in the family. And it's so fascinating to compare all three because what's going to happen is next he's going to start talking to Laman and Lemuel, which gives you a clue that maybe night number one for Laman and Lemuel was not the same night that Lehi had not a night of thankfulness because he's going to go through and he's going to try to give him advice. He's like, I want you to be mighty like unto this river and I want you to be righteous and I want you to be firm and steadfast. And then in verse 11, this is their response. Now he, now this he spake because of the stiff nakedness of Laman and Lemuel. For behold, they did murmur in many things against their father because he was a visionary man. He made them leave Jerusalem. They had to leave their gold and their inheritance and their silver. They walked away from their futures. They walked away what they had built up. They walked away from their people and they were so angry. They murmured and murmured and murmured. Their response to what Lehi gave thanks to was actually complaining. They said, we do not get this. And it's so interesting because in verse 12. Well, I want to say, I've just never noticed before that He's a visionary man, which is a looking forward type of thing. And they were mad about the things that they left behind. And Lehi had a way to see, we're going to see this later on, see toward the promises of the future in a way that they hadn't quite captured yet. Because they were so set on looking back what they could see instead of what they couldn't see. And I don't think they had or were allowing themselves the capacity to believe that there might be something better in store that you quite can't imagine or see yet. Which makes even more sense because the reason that they murmur, we learn in verse 12, is they did murmur because they knew not the dealings of that God who created them. Hmm. They were angry because they did not know God's heart. If they maybe knew something about God, they would have realized that he is the type of guy that has something better in store. Mm -hmm. That makes it a lot harder to complain when you know something better is coming. And what's going to happen is Nephi's reaction is going to start coming in verse 16. And Nephi was younger. He was the younger brother. And I love this. This is how you know that he's the younger brother. Yeah. He's like, I'm the younger brother, but just so you know, I was really big. I was like, yeah, I might've been little, but I was really strong. I'm like, okay, (laughs) Nephi. Okay, younger brother syndrome. It's fine, everyone. It's fine. This is the difference between Nephi and his younger brothers. And it's so interesting to me because I do not think that Nephi started out very different from those brothers at all. Because what happens is also he had great desires to know of the mystery of God. Wherefore, I did cry unto the Lord and behold, he did visit me. And we can come to that for just one second in a minute. But this part is so fascinating. And he did soften my heart. And this is what's interesting. If your heart had to be softened, then it must have been hard at the beginning. Mm. 
His heart probably didn't start out much different than Laman and Lemuel's. The difference was Laman and Lemuel didn't know God and didn't care to know him. Nephi didn't know God and decided he better figure out who this guy was that his family was being obedient to. Mm -hmm. And then he has this moment that he's like, okay, God, let's figure this out. Who are you? Tell me what the game plan is. And he prays and he figures this out. And in verse number 20, his answer comes. And the Lord spake unto me saying, Inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments. Well, first he says, Blessed art thou Nephi, which is even more tender because Nephi didn't know God, but God knew Nephi. Mm. And inasmuch as you shall keep my commandments, you will prosper. And you shall be led to a land of promise, even a land which I have prepared for you. A land in this part, oh my goodness, which is choice above all other lands. Do you know what Nephi got to know about God? Is that God had something better. Yeah. He learned that God was actually a God of upgrades. Mm. And that's what Laman and Lemuel didn't realize. And yeah, sometimes God is going to ask us to walk away from things, things that we love, things that we care about, things that we never expected to walk away from. But we can do it and we can say thank you. And our hearts can be soft because we know that a God that is going to ask us to walk away is a God who has something better coming. Yeah, yeah. I, um, amen. I just want to point out one other thing in 16 and in 20, or whoops, 16 is when he believes, oh, and his brothers don't, 13 and 16, that it becomes an issue of belief. This is a heart, it's not a circumstance issue, this is a heart issue, and Nephi shows us how to bring the Lord into a heart and, and let him soften a heart and let you see things that you haven't quite seen yet. The next section is the first couple verses of First Nephi. First Nephi 3, 1 through 15. I had been blessed. This is a really famous story. If you are uh, new to the Book of Mormon, you should know everybody who loves the Book of Mormon loves this part. It starts off with this. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, returned from speaking with the Lord to the tent of my father. The, Lehi is about to ask Nephi to do something really difficult. He's going to respond to it excellently because of verse one. He approaches the situation having returned from speaking with the Lord. What if I started tomorrow already having spoken with the Lord? No matter what is requested of me, no matter what happens, I think my reaction is going to be different because it began with me speaking with the Lord. And it's so interesting to me that the conversation he had with God was, first of all, that God knew him. And second of all, that God had something really good coming. Yeah. That so, was his mindset. So he's going to come into a situation with those two beliefs. And he comes to his father and his father says, I dreamed a dream which the Lord hath commanded me that thou and thy brethren shall return to Jerusalem. That's going to land really roughly on a hard heart. It's like, but Nephi's soft heart's gonna, it's just gonna settle in. Because if I'm Laman and Lemuel and my dad says, I dreamed this dream where the Lord commanded me that you should go do something really hard. I can already hear the response back to that. If God has something hard for me, why can't he come, why can't he come himself, you know, to me? But he came to you to tell me to do something really hard. And of hard. course that's you get convenient. to stay home. Yeah, that's yeah. convenient. But it's gonna land on a really soft heart. Because he says, Laban has this record of the Jews and the genealogy of my forefathers. They're engraved upon the plates of brass. The Lord commanded me that you and your brothers should go and bring them back into the wilderness. Now your brothers say, it's a hard thing, which I've required of them. But I want you to know, I didn't ask it. It was a commandment of the Lord. Can't you hear almost every prophet and apostle saying that. It's like, it's from the Lord. I, I'm not the one who's commanding it. And he says, go, my son, you shall be favored of the Lord because you have not murmured. And there's a, there is a, there's a challenge there. It's actually, and I read it, live it for that particular day. Try living a day, not complaining. Just see how not complaining equals living in favor with the Lord, or probably rather more able to recognize his favor. If your heart is complaining, it's too busy to see and experience the goodness that God has in store. 
So Nephi says famously, I will go and do the things which the Lord has commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them, that they may accomplish the thing which he hath commanded them. That's the part of the verse that you should highlight. Because in my head, I'm like, that is so, I love that verse for Nephi. I love that verse more for God. Because all of a sudden now what you just learned isn't that Nephi was brave, but he was, but actually that he was brave because of God. Yeah. And we're going to see that come up again and again. Take note on that, that verse seven, you might be tempted to say is a go and do verse, which it is. But what it also is, is a preparing and accomplishing verse. See what God is doing in first Nephi three, seven in addition to what Nephi is doing as well. It's easier to be brave if you know the God you believe in. Amen. That's what Nephi wanted to teach you. Yeah. So when he had heard these words, his father in verse eight, he was exceedingly glad for he knew that I had been blessed of the Lord. It's actually one of my favorite things about talking to Jack each week is I hear him say something and it makes me glad because I know he's been blessed. I can see the mark of the Lord on him. I can see what's happening. And that's Nephi's response is a clear indicator that he's been with the Lord. Lehi can tell it, he can sense it. So they take their journey into the wilderness with our tents and they go up to Jerusalem. Do not skip over verse nine. Do not skip over every step they take in the sand, setting up a tent, taking down a tent, packing it <laughs> on your back. When the Lord says he's going to accomplish something, we have a temptation to think, oh, if it works out really smoothly, that must mean God is in it. And this story shows you otherwise, that there's days of walking. They're going to get there and they're going to cast lots. It says that was a traditional way of picking. It was kind of an Old Testament belief that that was the way you knew God, who God was picking. You can see that all throughout the Old Testament, but they do that and send Laban into the house of Laban and it doesn't work. And, and Laban threatens their lives and he calls them a robber and says they're going to slay him and no wonder he leaves and says let's go back home it didn't work and we might be tempted to think that and believe that oh if every door doesn't open and every window doesn't open god must not be in this and this story teaches us that listen it doesn't mean things are going to go smoothly so Nevi says, and understands that in verse 15, it's my favorite of this section, says, as the Lord liveth and as we live, we will not go down to our father in the wilderness until we've accomplished the thing which the Lord hath commanded us. Um, you might want to highlight that phrase, as the Lord liveth. Throughout the Book of Mormon, you're going to see a phrase repeated like that. That is covenant language. That's covenant loyalty language. And Nevi says, no matter the cost, Whatever the sacrifice, I'm not giving up until I do what I said I would do. That is the type of heart that he has. That's his understanding of covenant loyalty. Mm, beautiful. It's interesting because the next section is going to start in the middle of things not working out. Uh, we're in 1 Nephi 3. We're going to start in verse 16. And what's going to happen is they have just failed in what their dad had told them to go and do and accomplish that God was going to provide a way. Everything's going to work out. And then it didn't. Hmm. And I wonder what the conversation was on like it between those three brothers just like sitting there that they're just like, wait, God was going to provide a way. The things were supposed to work out. We felt like, okay, we're going to do this. It's going to be hard. We're going for it. Things still didn't work out. And what happens is Nephi takes his role for a second that he's going to be like cheerleader. He's given the like motivational speech after they are down <laughs> by 400 points, it feels like. And he's like, listen, you guys, God told us to leave Jerusalem. I know this is going to work out. Let me remind you of the God we believe in. That is what he's going to do in verse 16 through 21. He's going to say, listen, you might need a reminder of who this God is. And it's so interesting because it says, and it came to pass that after this manner of language. And I love that he calls it a manner of language. It wasn't just his everyday speaking. It was this moment that he's like, I am going to speak to you differently. My language is going to be different. I am going to remind you of a God who works things out. That's what we need to remember. And so then they sit there for a second, they make their next game plan, which almost feels like the most net, like 
the most logical solution. They're like, okay, let's get all of the stuff that we left behind, all of our things that made us super rich. Let's go take it and let's like make a little trade. Let's like try to like make a, like, this is, this makes sense. This is smart. Let's do a trade. And they go as if to do it and things don't work out again. And what happens is all of a sudden it came to pass that when Laban saw our property, verse 25, and that it was exceedingly great, he did lust after it in so much that he thrust us out. That's like worst case scenario. Worst, worst case scenario is, and he sent his servants to slay us that he might obtain our property. Not only did it not work out, but now they like lost everything that they had spent their life saving up for. They didn't just walk away from it. They lost it because they were getting chased by servants who were trying to kill them. So they're panicking. I love that in verse 27, it wants to say this. And it came to pass that we fled into the wilderness and the servants of Laban did not overtake us. And we hid ourselves in the cap- in the cavity of a rock. That They are like, we are heading in the middle of a cave. I can promise you that they probably didn't have that in mind when like Nephi said, no, the Lord prepares a way for us. Mm-hmm. They did not think that it was going to be a rock. Right. And it's interesting to me that that's like not even their first try. That's their second try. And it still didn't really work out. Yeah. And had threats. And and Laman and Lemuel might be translating this as this. When we obey God, we lose things. When we obey God, we get threatened. When we obey God, we walk, you know, and they, it's really easy to see a situation and to translate it in a certain way. And it's interesting because they do. And it came to pass that Laman was angry at me and also with my father and also so was Lemuel. Everyone was so mad. That was their response. And they could actually be really happy that they didn't get overtaken by the servants. It's like, what about the fact that you just got like... Yeah, well, at least we're still alive. It's fine, you guys. (laughs) At least there was a rock that we could hide in. And instead, their gut instinct is anger, that they are just so, so mad. And it's so interesting because in this, at this point in the story, when things do not work out, when they want to give up, when everyone is angry, God is going to send an angel which I think is a lesson in and of itself. And the angel doesn't actually fix any of the problems, but what happens is behold, an angel of the Lord came. And at this point, Nephi is getting beat up by his older siblings because they are that angry. And an angel of the Lord came and stood before them. And he spake unto them saying, why do you smite your younger brother with a rod? Know you not that the Lord has chosen him to be the ruler over you. And then all of a sudden this part, behold, you shall go up to Jerusalem again and the Lord will deliver Laban into your hands. Sometimes when things don't work out, God sends an angel to help you out. He's not going to do it for you. The angel isn't going to get the plates for you, but maybe the angel is the one that's going to come and say, hey, let me boost you up for a minute. Mm. Let me talk confidence into you. Let me help you out for a second. And after the angel had spoken unto us, he departed. And then Laman and Lemuel have this reaction. Once again, a little murmur. How is it possible that the Lord will deliver Laban into our hands? We have tried everything. We did everything that we thought of. Nothing worked out so much so that we had to hide in a rock because we thought we were going to die. You think that God could possibly do something here. You think it's possible that God could possibly make this work because we gave him two chances and it didn't work out. And it almost makes my mind want to write this line at the end of this chapter. But what if we believe in a God that does impossible things? Yeah. What if that's the end of this chapter? Yeah. Because, yeah, that's hard to believe unless you remember who God is. Yeah, it's just, again, what, what do you have your eye set on? They have their eye set on the abilities and the size of the army of Laban and not that visionary. It's a belief issue, right? And next segment is chapter, first Nephi chapter four, which one through 20, which we're calling brave trust. Now there is the, your worksheet in your journal is what you're going to be using for first Nephi chapter four. We'll show you what this looks like. I just filled out some of the things that are, are on it, but what you're going to watch is what it takes to live with brave trust. And we're going to learn that from Nephi's story. So let's start in verse one. And here are some of the things that you're going to fill out as you go through this. They just asked the question at the end of verse of chapter three, how is it possible 
that this could ever happen. Haven't you seen how big Laban and his army are? And the first thing Nephi does is goes to a story he knows that shows how big God is. And he says, let's go up into Jerusalem and let's be faithful in keeping the commandments of our Lord. For behold, he is mightier than all the earth. Then why not mightier than Laban and his 50 or even than his tens of thousands? I actually don't care if Laban has 100,000 soldiers at his command. Our God is mightier than that. Makes me want to like put this phrase down and highlight this. He is mightier than all the earth then why not mightier than fill in the blank? Because your problem is not Laban and his 50, but yours is something else. And Nephi chooses to look at a God who is mightier. Everyone else was looking at the problem and Nephi had his heart set on the promise. And that seems to be maybe one of the things that you'll put in here. How do I live with brave trust? Set your heart on the promise. And it's so interesting that both of the like groups of people ask a question and Laman and Lemuel ask, how is it possible? And Nephi is going to ask, why not? Right. Why shouldn't, like, why shouldn't he be that big? Yeah. That's such a fun, that is such a thrilling thought about God. And a thrilling way why to live. Thr- right, right. Another thing he does is in verse two, therefore let us go up. Let us be strong like unto Moses, for he spake under the waters of the Red Sea, and they divided hither and thither. And our fathers came through out of captivity on dry ground, and the armies of Pharaoh that did follow were drowned and didn't get them. How about that? One of the things he does is he looks to Scripture. I've seen God do this before. I know that he's done this. He is a deliverer. Now behold that this is true, and you also know an angel has spoken unto you. Wherefore can you doubt? He's had an experience that he looks back on, his own experience. So I know this about God. I know it from scripture. I know it from my own experiences also. Let us go up for the Lord is able to deliver us even as our fathers and to destroy Laban, even as the Egyptians. He is applying what he knows about God from scripture into his own life and his own experiences as well. When he spoke these words, they were angry and still continued to murmur. <laughs> it's, I, it's that idea I, I refuse to believe because it's scary to believe in that. It's going to take courage. I can't be disappointed. I can't let myself go there. Um, and it says, nevertheless, they did follow me up until we came to the walls and it was by night and I caused that they should hide themselves without the walls and they hid and I crept into the city and went toward the house of Laban. And verse six is another part of this. I was led by the spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. To be led by the spirit is part of living with brave trust. To not necessarily have a plan or, or to know steps one, two, three, four, five, and six but to one step at a time kind of experience. Verse seven, nevertheless, put that in one of those. That's a kind of approach that we have. Never, despite all my arguments, nevertheless, I went forth. Despite all reasoning, nevertheless, I went forth. We tried our cultural and traditional way of casting lots. We tried our logic and the plan that we came up with. None of them did. Nevertheless, I'm just going to let the spirit guide in this one. I don't know how it's going to work out. I didn't come up with it. I can't see the end, but I can ask the spirit for the next right step. And it makes it, I just barely thought about this for the first time, but I wonder if he was brave enough to do that because he was brave enough to walk away from Jerusalem the first time. Like, I wonder if that was like, okay, I didn't know what was going to happen there, but I actually got to know God better in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And maybe I don't know what's going to happen right now, but maybe I'll get to know God better. So cool. Well, he goes and he finds Laban. He had fallen to the earth before me. He was drunk with wine. And I, when I came to him, I found out that it was actually him. And I saw his sword and I drew it forth out of the sheath. And it was a really pretty sword. It's so funny. That he gets like, <laughs> That's he how you, it's the same bar as when he's like, I'm really big and he's 16 strong. again. Yeah. For sure he's 16 yeah. because he sees Laban on the ground. And he's like, and the first thing he's like, wow, look at that sword, you know? And it's like, <laughs> this guy likes really cool gold. And, it's, and you're like, dude. You're like, awesome, Nephi. <laughs> you're awesome. Great. And then he was constrained by the spirit that he should kill Laban. 
And I just want to point out one thing about this as we read this. This A lot of people might get caught up on this. And, and here's a tip with this. We don't know all of the circumstances of the situation. We don't know all the legalities of Jerusalem and the time. We are, this is, this is a foreign country. This is th- so much time ago. And so we, I don't think can get really caught up in just the, the actual debate. What we could learn from this, like that won't be very fruitful because we'll have nowhere to go. But what could be fruitful is to see what Nephi does, which is pushing back. And he asks questions. And then the spirit teaches him. Behold, the Lord delivered him into your hands. And I also knew that he had tried to kill us. And, and that he wouldn't hearken to the commandments of the Lord. And he had stolen all of our things. And it came to pass that the spirit confirms again and says something. And he says, okay, yes, I do know this. And there is a reasoning with the Lord that's happening here. A conversation between them that I think is the most valuable part of this. And conclusions that he comes up with. And he knows all along the purposes of the Lord. Verse 13, at the end of the day, the Lord's trying to bring about his righteous purposes. And the promise in verse 14, again, there is that focus on the promise. If you remember the purposes and the promises of the Lord, it helps you to live with this kind of brave trust. And he knows that those purposes are good because the law is on those plates of brass. It, it was go, He could see the intention and the purpose of this. And so it says, therefore, verse 18, I did obey the voice of the Spirit. There are just a couple of those things that are there. You might find more of what it takes and what might help you along as you learn to live with brave trust. I just like that he says this never in that verse, nevertheless, I did go forth with the spirit guiding him every step. That to me is just like beautiful to consider. Nephi did go forth, but the Lord was right there with him step by step, moving him through this, teaching him the next right thing that he needed to know and needed to understand as, as he did that. It just makes me think like that story of Moses may have been the same, where the Lord was right there with Moses, you know, and and Moses could have been brave probably because some of these same things. So I love this study to just think about, okay, the Lord does ask us to do things, but there are some things that we learn in scripture that will encourage our own hearts to live with this kind of courage and this kind of bravery in him. It's interesting because the next part of the story, oh, oh this is the poster for the week, y'all, is that First Nephi 4 verse 1, where that, that fill in the blank. This is going to be awesome to have hanging in your home if you can have a chance. We do this every Sunday when we, this is kind of our Sunday study as we take the poster and we talk about that verse. Because I want to like that week, this coming week for this Let's be faithful unto the Lord, for he is mightier than all the earth. Why not mightier than dot, dot, dot? I want me and my kids to pass by this all throughout the week and realize that the Lord is mighty. I want to remember that about him. It's going to help me to be brave. I have experiences from the past, like way, way past in scripture. I have experiences from my own life where I've seen the Lord be mighty. That's going to give me courage to do my next hard thing that he's going to ask me to do. I, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I do know what he's like. And so I, this is awesome to just remember that he is mighty. He can make us mighty. Very, the Webster's Dictionary is very strong, valiant, bold, having great command over all things that are happening. Wonderful. P.S. These always include another reference from the Bible too, where that word is used. This is Judges 6. Um, verse 12. So it can become like just a mini study on, on a Sunday, but I just love having a conversation about that. And then kids, whatever you face this week, don't focus on the problems, focus on the promise, focus on the mightiness of God. Let that let be swallowed up in that. Yeah. And how fun to even just bring up that question. Why not? Why, how, what does it look like to live in a why not mindset? Yeah. You know, that's such a powerful word. And it's interesting because the this day's reading is going to start right in the middle of the story still, it feels like. And it's verse 5, chapter 4, verse 20. But it's interesting because even in the middle of the story, Nephi is still walking step 
by step with the God who is mighty. And what's going to happen is all of a sudden, um, he's going to go into the treasury of Laban. And at, right when he gets there, he sees Laban's servant. And he's like, oh, okay, maybe this is going to work out. And um, the servant had the keys to the treasury. And the servant really believes that Nephi is Laban. And so he's like, perfect. He's like, what do you need? How can I help you? They start having this conversation. Nephi gets the plates. And all of a sudden, um, I spake unto him as if I had been Laban. And it's verse 23. And I also spake unto him that I should carry the engravings, which were upon the plates of brass to my elder brethren who were without the walls. And then verse number 25, whoa, (laughs) is so interesting to me because it says, and I also bade him that he should follow me. And it's interesting because that invitation is actually one that is very familiar to us in scripture. We have heard it a lot. And specifically, there are moments in the New Testament that we hear Jesus ask people to follow him. Mm. He says, hey, follow me. And it's interesting because that invitation in the New Testament, we just watched it play out last year, was the invitation for people to get to know Jesus better. He said, come follow me. You will know God better because of me. You will know me better through this journey. That was the invitation in the New Testament with follow me. And it makes me wonder if Nephi was actually going to invite him like in the same journey. That yeah, he's saying follow me outside to give the plates, but we know that like in the end, this like boy, this servant is actually going to stay with them for a long time. And I wonder if this is cluing us in that maybe Nephi wanted to stop and say, hey, I'm on a journey right now getting to know God. I've been figuring this out in the wilderness. Come follow me and see if maybe you get to know God a little bit better in the journey. It seems like it has to have been another inspiration because really dumb idea. Why are you bringing a witness to the crime. Well, and <laughs> not like they run. had great experiences with the servants. Remember last time they had to run and hide from them in a rock. Right, but why not take the plates, leave Zoram there, go out and just be done? So it yeah. makes you think like, before, why are you asking him to come out into the wilderness with you? It just makes me think that there's another, just another inspiration that Nephi is getting right here. Yeah. And he doesn't understand why he's going to do it. No. No. And so they go and he's, the servant still is kind of a little bit confused. And what's going to happen is all of a sudden, once they get out there, he starts realizing um, in verse 30, and it came to pass when the servant of Laban beheld my brother, he began to tremble and he was about to flee from before me and return to the city of Jerusalem. He had realized what had happened. He started panicking. The brothers saw Nephi. They were scared. Nephi explained, no, it's me, Nephi. It worked. I got the plan. The servant starts freaking out. And then Nephi still being a 16 year old boy, being a man large in stature and also having received much strength of the Lord. He grabbed the servant and he said, listen, we will At least he spare- gave the Lord the credit this time. So true. You know? He's getting more humble. <laughs> He's getting more humble now that he knows that God's so strong. He um, says, listen, we're going to spare your life. And um, he actually, and I spake unto him, even with an oath, that he need not fear. That he should be a free man, like unto us, if he would go into the wilderness with us. He said, listen, no, I actually can promise you that there is something better in the wilderness, almost as if Nephi really believed that, mm-hmm. which would be hard because in the beginning, it seemed like that's a tough thing to believe in. And if you go into the wilderness to my father, thou shalt have a place with us. You will be welcome with us. Mm. We have room for you. You want to come get to know God better with me? You want to join me on this journey? Don't worry. There is room. There is space for you with us. And Zoram, the servant, did take courage. He decides that he's going to go. So they go back into the wilderness. And then verse 5 starts. And it's kind of going to throw you back. The boys are coming home. They're on their it's way. Like camera one, camera two. Yeah. I, but I do love that you were just teaching <laughs> that really neat thing that we are just inclined to bring other people along. When we're living a life of faith, when we're living a life of trust, when we're living a life of following God, we won't be able to help it but to bring other people along with us. It really doesn't make sense to bring Zoram along on this trip, but that is an attribute of the Lord where he's just like, hey, let's just bring in, bring in everybody. And I really do love that it said, you shall have a place with us. Yeah, where, what verse is room, that? That is verse number, so surprise, 34. That's awesome. You will have a place with us. 
Um, now we go back to camera one, okay? And it's gonna be Soraya, his mom, and Lehi, his dad. And what's gonna happen is Soraya is gonna begin, it shows her first. And um, you got to remember that she also just walked away from everything she had ever known with her husband. He, like, she didn't have the vision. Her husband had the vision. And now her husband just sent away all of her children to go back and try to get something from, like, Laban, like all of a sudden this is like, wait, are you serious right now? Like Soraya also was in the middle of something insanely difficult. And it's so interesting because in verse number two, we get a, like a sneak peek into her head. And for she had supposed that we had perished in the wilderness, she had assumed that her sons had died. Mm. The task was too great. It was impossible. Maybe it took longer than expected. It seems like it did because they had to try a million times practically. And um, she also had complained against my father telling him that he was a visionary man, saying, Behold, thou hast led us forth from the land of our inheritance, and my sons are no more, and we perish in the wilderness. You are kidding me. I walked away from everything just to have my sons taken from me as well. I do not see what you are seeing. Hmm. I cannot see what you have in mind. I just do not understand. But it's so interesting in verse number three, because it says, and after this manner of language, had my mother complaint against my father. And in my like margins right here, I just wrote like the language of complaint. That is what she saw. Or even you could say the language of doubt, the language of anger. Like this was all she was like, she, from verse two, it says complained, but I think all of those things would be the language she was speaking in. Yeah. And it's so interesting because then all of a sudden you're going to see. And we don't blame her for it. No. Because it's, fear is really addictive and anger is really addictive and they're really easy to fall into. She genuinely believed that she had just lost her, like her sons. Right. Yeah. Like, of course that's tragic. Right. Like, if anyone has a reason to complain, I'm like, of course, Soraya, right. for sure. And it's so interesting to say, to see Lehi's response, because he says, listen, I know that I'm a visionary man. You don't need to tell me twice. I've got it. I know that about me. And if I didn't see the things that I had seen, if God had not spoken to me, we could have stayed in Jerusalem, but God did speak to me. And in verse number five, but behold, I have obtained a land of promise. Reverse, reverse, because what? He didn't even, he hadn't. He hadn't gotten the land of promise. Why was he speaking about it past tense? That is crazy. And that is interesting because he says, in the which things I do rejoice. He was already celebrating something God had promised him that he didn't even have yet. Mm. And I know that the Lord will deliver my sons out of the hands of Laban and bring them down again unto us in the wilderness. And then this part is wild to me. And after this manner of language, did my father Lehi comfort my mother. Lehi was speaking the language of faith. Lehi was speaking the language of faith so deeply that he was talking about a promise that hadn't happened yet in past tense. He said, no, but I know that it will. I know I have the land of promise. I know my sons are coming back. Both of them living in the same situation. The language of complaining, the language of faith. And it's fascinating that actually it was the language of faith that comforted Sariah. Mm -hmm. That that is where his heart went. And maybe that is a lesson in and of itself. That maybe when there are moments that you are not sure how to respond, when there's something that you need to say, you're not sure what to say, maybe think about the language of faith. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, actually, maybe let me think about what God would say here. And then all of a sudden, you know the end of the story. And when we had returned to the tent of my father, behold, their joy was full and my mother was comforted. And she spake saying, now I know of a surety that the Lord hath commanded my husband to flee into the wilderness. Yea, and I also know of a surety that the Lord hath protected my sons and delivered them out of the land of the hands of Laban. And after this manner of language did she speak. Mm. She still could change her language. Right. And right. it's interesting to me. Sorry, then you can say whatever you're going to say. No, too, no, no. I think it's so interesting that she says, now I know of a surety. And it makes me want to stop because, yeah, for sure those boys had to go back to get the plates. That was very important for this whole entire book to happen. But I love that maybe one of the purposes was actually so that Soraya could get to know God better too. Mm. 
Maybe that's one of the reasons. Maybe that's one of the reasons that it took so long. Maybe that's one of the reasons that there was three tries instead of just one try. That maybe God knew Sariah needed to know him too. Mm-hmm. And he was smart enough to plan for that. Yeah, because it was the waiting created that opportunity for faith, the opportunity to believe. It put her in a spot where she could either fall into fear and anger or she could fall into faith. And, and it, it put her in that spot to do that. I just love that that language of faith can become addictive. It can become passed down. That he and speaks taught. in it and taught. And then she begins to also. And that verse eight, let's just say, again, find what God does. Like, let's let God be the hero of that entire story. That she comes away from it and says, I know the Lord warned. I know the Lord protected. I know that the Lord delivered. And... All of her faith is in him and what he can do and who he is. She, at the end of that experience, she learned more about him. And it's going to get her through the next one. And it's so cool because we actually are getting a front row seat to watching people get to know God. for like It feels like some of them for their very first time. And what a thrill that we also get to know God better too. Right. Like all of us are on the same journey together. Yeah. Nephi, Lehi, Sariah. And grace. Yeah. And it includes disappointments and it includes reassurances and it includes encouraging each other and it includes complaining and it includes looking back on scripture and it includes going for like, there's so many elements to this that are, are, that make it really thrilling and give us permission to experience all of those feelings and experiences. I mean, as well, right. That we can, we can tug a war with this at like, like they did too. So it's fun. Okay, you guys. We Happy New Year, and we'll see you next week. Perfect. <laughs> this audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com, and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.